Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. As promised, today I'm going to talk a bit about using LinkedIn for your own career development. It's something that I've been using for over the last 10 years, and I certainly wasn't intentional about it in the beginning and saying, this is how I'm going to use it, and this is what I hope it becomes, and the opportunities I hope that I come from it. Like That's never actually been a lot of how I've lived my life, both for better and for worse. But certainly I have benefited from a lot of crazy opportunities, including getting to know so many incredible humans that I wouldn't have had a chance to otherwise. They're either directly or indirectly involved in online fraud or trust and safety or payments. Many of our guests on the podcast have been people that I first met on LinkedIn and then got to meet in real life or haven't gotten to meet yet in real life. And I know I get to know several of you guys also through LinkedIn in different ways. So it's a powerful tool. It really has become the only social media that I use on a regular basis. And there's definitely right ways and wrong ways to use it. And I think some that are just specific to our industry because it's a unique industry. We can't share everything. We're obviously conscious about what we put on a public platform, but sometimes we also limit ourselves too much. So I thought I'd share a little bit of some of the advice that I've found myself giving to other people when they've asked for advice on LinkedIn over the last several months or year, and also just some of the other things I've picked up. But first, one tiny little programming note. This is going to be the only new episode of Fraudology out this week. A lot of you catch up weeks later, so probably aren't even noticing. But for those of you who are just such loyal and religious fans and listen within the first couple of days of the episode coming out, I wanted to let you know this is the only one this week. In the U.S., it is a shorter week due to the Memorial Day holiday. So that's part of the reason. The other reason actually might be kind of silly, but this episode is actually episode number 199 of the podcast, which is absolutely mind-blowing and insane to me. If you've listened to every episode of Fraudology, like, congratulations, pat yourself on the back. That That's amazing, and I'm grateful for you. Honestly, if you've listened to any episodes of Fraudology, I am grateful for you. But those of you that are in the 199 Club or will be at the end of this episode, wow, guys. You've probably heard my voice more than my husband or child do normally. I'm kidding. That's not true. But <laughs> pre-pandemic, maybe. So anyway, but the other reason why we're doing one episode this week is because having episode 200 on a Friday of a short week just seemed kind of anticlimactic. So we will have the 200th episode of Fraudology out next Tuesday as per usual. This is the way that I could organize my thoughts around, around LinkedIn. And I think the first place to start is whether you're actively looking for a job right now, or if you love where you're at, you should still start to engage with people on LinkedIn. And hopefully you already have. If the last few years of layoffs have taught anyone anything, it's that you just never know when you're going to need a network. And you never know when you might wish that you had one. Or maybe that you wish that you were thought of for new opportunities. It's a pretty cool thing when you don't even have to apply for jobs as much because you come to people's minds. 
Uh, that's happened to me more than once. And it is, it's not because I'm lazy. I just, I'm not always the greatest at marketing. So whether it's for a consulting opportunity or public speaking opportunity, or even before becoming a consultant for full-time jobs, being out in front of people and reminding people that you're there and sharing with them what you know in different ways, not just by posting posts on a regular basis that I know not everybody likes that idea. So there's other things you can do too. It's a good way to do that. And honestly, like I said, I didn't set out doing that. And when I first got a LinkedIn, I, I was barely used. But I remember like pretty clearly eight or nine years ago when I started out on my own, I wanted to not necessarily advertise my experiences, but just strike up a conversation and share some little tidbits that I would learn from talking to people about different things. And I was also writing articles for an online publication. But I also noticed that at the time, no one in our industry posted about anything other than like webinars, conferences. They wouldn't even always say, hey, I got a new job or I'm leaving this job. And it was primarily solution providers posting their white papers and their blogs. And not that those aren't helpful and contribute to the industry. Some do. Not all of them anymore. But, you know, the ones that are thoughtfully written and provide a new perspective or new information, those can be helpful. But I just felt like somebody else needed to contribute to the conversation. And why not me? And that led to like some some more attention than I meant for it too. I remember the first conference I attended when someone I didn't know walked up to me and said, I follow you on LinkedIn. I really love what you say. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Obviously, that was before I had a podcast. And I've had to kind of get used to that a lot more <laughs> over the years. And I do love it. It really, it means the world to me. And I'm humbled anytime anyone stops and says, something like that. I'm still getting used to that when out and about in the wild at different events or fraud conferences. But I mean, just because I posted more or I've made it kind of part of who I, what I do on a weekly basis because I really enjoy it and get value out of it. And I hope other people do too. You don't have to do that. You might have different goals. Or you might not have many goals like I did. But I think first identifying your short and long-term goals of what you want out of LinkedIn can help you provide yourself with some focus and an outline. So just some, some ideas of maybe what your goal, your short-term goal, your right now goal for LinkedIn, it might be to get a job. It might be to connect with peers, connect with people at other companies and learn from them. It might be just to learn from others in their posts, to update your profile and just kind of, not your profile on LinkedIn, but so I guess it's not update your profile, but lift up your profile, you know, be a little bit more visible. Or it, if you're on the solution provider side, it might be to to try to sell to others, to strike up a conversation or a relationship. And yeah, that work is much harder these days than it probably was six or seven years ago because there's more people. And because fraud fighters on the practitioner side have been inundated, and I cannot understate that enough, inundated with messages from your competitors and probably other people at your company that you're probably not going to get that many responses back. But that doesn't mean you don't try. That also doesn't mean that that's the only way to do things either. But that might be your short-term goal. Your long-term goal might be more like to plant seeds for new opportunities. Plant seeds by networking, by connecting with new people, striking up a conversation or posting about certain topics, you know, like kind of get you known for something, something like that. It might be to, I hate this term so much, but I don't really know what other term to use, but to build a personal brand. It's not as easy as people think. I've seen some people 
post regularly on a regular basis every day or a couple times a week. And then after a few months, it's like, huh, I haven't seen that person in a while. Oh, because they were probably concentrating just on the likes and the and the view numbers and not their impact. And so they probably weren't good. And when they, they weren't good and people weren't interacting with them, well, they got discouraged. And that's fine. But like it was something to say, like, what's your what's your longer term goal? You know, is it to, you know, build out a strong network and create relationships with people in the industry? Is it to gain more exposure to boost your profile? Is it to be seen as a thought leader? I know some people hit a certain point in their career and they're like, hey, I've been so focused on my career that I now want to be able to help my peers. I want to be seen as somebody who can help. And nine times out of 10, when you come at it from that perspective and it's not ego driven and not, oh, I want people to look up to me or I want people to see me as a leader or whatever it is. Then, you know, if it's more like I want to be a leader so I can provide value, there's a lot of lessons I've learned the hard way that I don't want other people to learn. Then how genuine you are matters too. Matters so much. Your intentions can come through tenfold, especially to those of us that have been trained to identify intentions with very little data uh, within our career. Because we can't help but have that kind of spill out into other parts of our lives. Um, I was going to provide some career advice mixed in with this, but I think I'm actually going to do a separate episode on that down the line because I want to flush them out. And also because if I sneak them in here and I don't put that in the title or if that's not the main focus of the episode, then other people who want to learn that and hear it. So so going through LinkedIn, I kind of just wrote out like the specific parts of LinkedIn. So first you have your profile, right? And I'm not going to go through each section and tell you exactly what to do. There's a lot of people who have created some good content or who have focused their own business on providing information on how to utilize LinkedIn better, just in general. And if you want to go down that path and get more ideas for exactly how your profile should be built, if you want to get a job or if you want for different goals, then definitely look into that. But that's not where, that's not the purpose of this episode as much. So just kind of what I wrote down around profile is to be thoughtful about the heading or the descriptor, like what you, what do you, what do you do? Who are you? I think for a while there, people were getting cute. Like I'm a unicorn. I'm the ninja of this. I am a chocolate connoisseur. I don't know, like random things like that. It doesn't really help anyone know what sets you apart. I had the hardest time starting out my kind of the heading underneath my name saying award-winning cyber fighter or whatever it says at the end there. I really didn't want to do that, but that was something that was dared to me by a coach at the time. And I think that, you know, I mean, it is true. I'm very lucky and very grateful to have two awards. And that does set me apart in this industry that doesn't have a lot of awards. I also say that I'm a podcast host, like those types of things. Otherwise, where, what are you doing? Where do you work? Or that type of thing. I try to stay away from descriptive words like servant leader or things like that just because it doesn't set you apart. It doesn't tell anyone what's different about you or who you are. If they don't look at your profile and the only thing they see about you is a comment that you posted on somebody else's post and they're curious who you are, do those first like 30 characters say about you? Something to think about. It can also be something that makes them want to click on your profile, right? But I know that like when I see something generic or I mean, it's supposed to be specific, 
But when I see something like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of things with there are specific descriptors that are coming to mind, but I don't want to call any of them specifically. <laughs> so I'm trying to make them up as I go and it's not as not as free flowing, but I think you get what I mean. But if you love product management, then you're a product manager. Some people say X this, X that, you work for a big company. You might be passionate about people leadership in fraud prevention, something like that, right? Now, once somebody clicks on your profile, your bio is really where you can introduce yourself, like what you've done, what you want to do. I was just going to say, don't look at mine right now, but then now everyone's going to look. I have not updated it in several years, which is something I should really add to my list. I know that that's a missed opportunity on my end, especially as my Turgelytics website is just really, really old. Could I just give it up on it for all intents and purposes? Then, you know, I need to take some of my own advice, but I don't remember what my bio says. So in this case, do as I say, not as I do. When we get to the parts about like posting content and reaching out to people, I will be a little less hypocritical on that. But I guess my point is it doesn't have to be exactly your resume. I've seen people say, you know, it's kind of like if your resume could have a conversation or have a little bit of personality with someone, what would it say? But again, that also goes to your goal, right? If your goal is to get a job, then you're going to write your profile bio a little bit differently than if you just want to get to know people that are in the space. And then the other thing I wanted to know, and these are just things I've seen people do over the years. I'm like, oh, I wish I could tell you to do this. A lot of times people just put the company and the title, the company where they worked in the title. And usually that's because they've been at the company a long time. They don't plan on leaving. Or maybe it's because they'll think it's a big deal. Well, these days, recruiters and hiring managers and others, they are using LinkedIn almost more than any other platform to find new talent. So take advantage of that. Share a little bit about what you did at that company, what you do at that company in that role, and what makes you special. What's something that you did that nobody else could say? It's not from the job description. I've literally seen people copy and paste a job description before in what they did. And it's like, it doesn't say what you did specifically. It doesn't say that you implemented a new technology or that you spearheaded something new or a new program or you reduced X by Y or you increased sales by this, like those types of things. You good at that job. And yeah, you may not be interested in looking for another job right now, but you just never know, especially right now with the economy the way it is and how volatile things are. There are a lot of people being laid off who had fives across the board on their last review who are just exceptional at their jobs. And because of lotteries or because of salary or what, however the company made the decision, they're now all of a sudden out of work. And that's really hard. And the last thing you want to do when you had the rug pulled out from underneath you is think about how you're going to write your LinkedIn profile. So do it now so that then you can just go back and change a few things. You don't have to do it all from scratch. And if you never get laid off, never end up leaving your job, no harm, no foul, right? Like better to be prepared than not be prepared. Select your skill. So I know that speaking of recruiters and hiring managers and things like that, they'll often put in specific skills or titles that they're looking for of people. So just select those wisely. I don't know if the skill endorsement does anything. I, I don't know. I've been endorsed for skills that I didn't even know I had by people I didn't even know. So I don't know how valuable that is. I think it was valuable at one time, but I don't know. Maybe it is. But when you're listing not just the skill endorsement, but you know when you're saying what your skills are or what you're interested in, think about the kind of job that you want to have, not just the job that you have now, not just the job that you qualify for. How can you fit what you've done in past jobs to show that you're qualified to 
be in leadership, for example, or be maybe you didn't have product management in your title, but you really enjoyed it and it was part of your job last time, things like that. This is something that I have found myself suggesting to people, especially as some people have left their companies after several years. There were a couple of guests I had over the last couple of months where we had been talking about them being on the podcast for a while and then they were like, I'm leaving my company and I'm either going to the dark side the vendor side, or my new employer isn't going to let me speak on a podcast or at conferences, so let's get that recorded soon. And I've said, hey, we've talked about a few of the people that they've worked with and how much they value them or things that people who, for instance, I had a friend who was only the leader of a team for a short period of time, but they took over just a really, a team that had had challenging leadership before. When the news came out that that person was leaving the company after a fairly short period of time, the person I was friends with that was a really good leader and really believed in their people and built them up and gave them confidence and strength. Every single person on their team, as well as on a couple of their peers' teams, replied back to the announcement that they were leaving internally on the email and just like took time out of their day to tell them how much they meant to them. Or in other cases, it's someone in another department or a leader in another area who, when they find out you're leaving, they send a really kind note. There's nothing wrong with saying, in fact, I really recommend that you do this. Hey, would you mind copying and pasting that and putting that on my LinkedIn as a reference? That really meant the world to me. And it'd really mean a lot to me if that was part of my profile. I wish I had done that more with my clients. In some cases, I feel like, oh, do I go back to my client from three years ago that I know I saved several million dollars for them in the first few months and it was a faster project than I thought it would and everything else? Do I go back to them and ask them for a reference now because I kind of forgot to then? But in your guys' case, it does work, right? If it's somebody you worked with, a coworker that you worked with in a previous job, reach out, ask them for a reference. There are a couple different ways you can ask for a reference. So one is that there's an option in LinkedIn to have LinkedIn send them kind of a notification saying so-and-so asks you to fill out a reference. You could also send them a note and say, hey, is there you know any way that you could do this? Is it no rush or da, 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 whatever? Would it be easier for me to send you a request through LinkedIn? So all you have to do is click a link. You don't have to find my profile, whatever it is. The other thing you can do is you can write a reference for them first, especially if it's someone that you haven't talked to in a while. It can be a really nice way to make their day. And then you, know, you can wait a few days if they thank you and say, oh, I need to write one back. Or if they do one back already, or you can say, hey, I was thinking of you the other day and how much I enjoyed working with you. And so I filled out this reference for you. And if you happen to have time, I'd love for you to do the same. Those things do matter when recruiters or hiring managers are looking at LinkedIn profiles. Even if you applied for a job the normal way, they're almost always going to look at your LinkedIn too. So give them things to read. Give them things to look at. Wow, several people that they worked with at that job really liked it. Like that matters. I know there's been several times where I'll see people post somebody that I don't know specifically, like they're not a first time connection, posting recently that they were laid off from a large company. And the first thing I do is read the comments and see what did some of the people who have worked with them say in the comments. Are they people that I know? Are they people that they didn't have to say that? Okay, now I want to write on their post and help them and boost it to my connections because clearly they're well thought of. The same thing can happen in your profile too with actual formal recommendations. Again, I don't have as many recommendations as I could or should. It's something I haven't been good at asking for either. And I will say on my own, as far as like people to ask, I think it's important to ask people who have seen you in your job. 
who know your work ethic, who have partnered with you from another department, or maybe who were, you know, an account manager at your company or that you worked with closely, or maybe vice versa, right? Maybe you were a sales rep or an account manager and it's someone who you worked with in your role. I do sometimes get asked to fill out recommendations for people who I haven't worked with directly. Maybe I've met them at a conference, I've seen them speak, I've maybe hosted them on my podcast. But just over the years, I've unfortunately learned, as probably not fair to you know people in the future, but you know that you can't always know how someone is in the workplace unless you've actually worked with them and seen them there. And so because of that, I've you know made the decision that even when I'm asked, if I'm asked by someone who I just haven't worked with directly, whether they were a consulting client or worked with them directly in some way when they were doing their job, their day-to-day job, then I just don't feel comfortable doing that. So think about who you're asking for references from to, as well as who you're going to give them to. If it's somebody that I know well, that I have seen in action or something like that, I absolutely want to help them. And I think that you'll find that too. I've been unfortunately burned a few times by people who I knew, you know, through volunteer work or trade associations or spoke at a conference with them or something like that. But then either I gave them a reference or I brought them in to work on something and realized, oh, you're a different person in that those environments and situations. So just something to think about who you're willing to give references to, as well as who you're going to ask, right? You don't want the worst thing to do is ask that random consultant that came in to work with your company for a week four years ago for a reference. And they're like, who are you? You don't want it to be awkward and uncomfortable. So chances are you've worked with a great deal of people directly. And I'm not saying you need to get 50 references. It's if you have one or two per job, that's good. That's more than a lot of people. And especially with how competitive the market is, no matter what industry you're in, it's always good to have a little bit of a leg up. And these types of things are going to help you accumulatively stand out a little bit more. I don't think enough people think about or capitalize on the reference piece. So that's why I brought it up. Uh, Definitely when you're ending a job, but even if you're not, right? If you're looking for a job while you're still employed or honestly, you're not looking for a job, but you just have a little extra time to ask someone for it. Now's the time to do it. Don't be like me and be like, oh man, I should have asked that that client for a reference, but now I feel bad because it's been so long. Like, are they even going to remember how much I helped? So ask now. As far as sending connections, there's there's a con. I don't think it's controversial, but there's debates around. Some people will say that they won't ever accept a connection request unless it has a note from someone that's personalized, right? Not just I want to I want to add you to my network, or I'm looking for interesting people in your industry. Like, okay, for me, actually, I don't send very many notes with my connection requests unless it's to someone that like you know it's kind of seems at a left field that I'm reaching out to them or if somebody specifically said, hey, you really need to contact or reach out to this person or that person. They are so smart. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I was talking to so-and-so and they mentioned you. Now, I've had that work in the reverse on my end where maybe some people in sales are reaching out to people that they know I know and they'll say, hey, I was just talking to Carice and I thought of you. And next thing I know, I'm getting a screenshot saying, what'd you say to them about me? It's like, oh, I don't even think I brought you up. Maybe they just know I know you. Or you were on the podcast a few months ago. I don't know. There was one salesperson who who I didn't know. And they weren't even really in the fraud space. But they were reaching out to people in the fraud space for whatever reason. And they were anyone that was connected to me. They were dropping my name. 
And I was just like, I don't even know who that is. So a side tangent there. But personally for me, when I'm going through connection requests, sometimes when they have notes, I find them kind of annoying. And the reason why is because I have so many connection requests and I, that's not me trying to be, oh, it's a, it's a rough life or anything like that. But then I want to reply or if it's something I need to reply back to, I've accepted your connection request. Now it looks like it's been read in my inbox. Now I'm going to forget because I have to go back into my inbox to reply, whatever. So it's kind of a gamble. There are some people who I think at this point you can get away with that as long as they can see that you're connected to other people in common. If you're not, it might help to give a little bit of context. If you are going to write a note, don't start out with what they can do for you ever. Not, oh, I've always wanted to work at your company, so I'm trying to connect with as many people that work there as possible. Or I'm applying for a job at your company. Can you give put in a good word to the hiring manager? Again, if you don't know them directly, don't do it. I did see somebody post advice just, I think, even today or yesterday saying how everyone should reach out to the hiring manager of a position when they're applying. And I'm like, no. As someone who's been on hiring manager, what, two, you're asking 200 people to reach out into your inbox and reach out to you outside of the process? Now, granted, if you actually know someone that knows the hiring manager and you worked with that person or that person knows you well, that might be something you can do to help them say, like, hey, making sure that you get to see their resume because sometimes not all internal recruiters will pull all the best resumes. I've certainly done that for people that I've worked with in the past. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models. And their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. But putting it into your practice to reach out to and to identify and almost not stalk, but identify and reach out to every hiring manager, 
I just, I don't see that working out. You're giving them one more thing to do. And sometimes in for some companies that's seen as initiative, but in other companies that's seen as going outside of the normal process. So do that with caution. Also, as soon as somebody accepts your connection request, that's also not a good time to just like leap in with what you want. You know, maybe it's, hey, I saw that we know this person and that person in common. I know that person from da 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 whatever. I you know, thought we should be connected because I sometimes have questions about XYZ or, hey, if you ever, I really enjoy answering questions about international payment methods and fraud on them or whatever the topic is. It, it's kind of basic common sense, but connecting with people and reaching out to people on LinkedIn is kind of similar to that phrase from John F. Kennedy way back you know, in the 60s. Even if you're not from the US, you've probably heard it before. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. It's the same thing on LinkedIn and honestly anywhere, right? Especially when it comes to professional networking. Don't ask what they can do for you. Ask them what you can do for them. That has had so much value for me. And especially because, you know, usually when I'm asking how I can help, it's not for any ulterior motives. It's legitimately because I want to help. Honestly, I would reach out to every person who is connected to and ask that to if I could. But that's my situation, right? I've been engaging on LinkedIn for eight or nine years. So I have a little more full of plate. If you don't, if your inbox isn't isn't very full, if you've got a little extra time, maybe look for somebody that, you know, you could offer mentoring to or hey, if you ever want to I bet you guys are having similar fraud issue as we are. Let me know if you ever want to hop on the phone and talk. You know, things like that. And you might not even receive anything from that connection right away or ever. But what I found is the cumulative effect of having a good network and providing value to people can't be understated. It's just, it, there have been some absolutely crazy things that have come to me from networking that I just never knew existed, including those two awards. I, I didn't know either one existed until I was contacted and said, hey, you were nominated for this award. And had I not been able to see that they were a real person on LinkedIn and I was connected with other people, as they were, I would have thought it was a scam and he never would have written back. <laughs> so that's one of it. You know, offer me a resource, offer to make a connection. Like, hey, if you see anyone in my connections that you'd like to inter be introduced to, whatever is appropriate for that person. Or just say, hey, if you ever want to shoot the breeze and talk about fraud and physical goods or chargebacks or whatever it is, like, let me know. Or if you ever go to this conference or that conference, I go every year. Things like that. And do you understand that if you're reaching out to someone, maybe this is just selfish that I'm saying this, but that's incredibly busy or gets a lot of messages, the user interface for the LinkedIn inbox is not great. There's no way to organize it. There's not even an inbox and an outbox. So I just know from personal experience that messages might get lost. So if they don't respond, don't take it personally. And if you needed a response or you were expecting a response or you really wanted a response within a certain amount of time and you didn't get it, don't feel bad about reconnecting and just feeling, hey, I understand you're busy, but I'm just trying to get back on top of your, you know, your inbox. That has helped me a lot where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I didn't see this message. Or I read this message when I was in the grocery store and had every intention of writing back. I cannot tell you how many times both of those are true. It's rarely personal. So try not to send a follow-up snarky message because that can be defeating and also just make you go, really? Like I've gotten a few of those myself. Also, sometimes if you have their email address or their or their phone number, maybe text them instead because, like I said, sometimes your box can be crazy. That also goes for people who work for big companies who may be highly sought after by solution providers that are trying to reach out to them on LinkedIn. Just keep that in mind. 
So yeah, my biggest thing was like, don't take it personally if you don't get reached out to. Or if you're reaching out to someone who doesn't know you well, introduce yourself and then wait a little bit. Wait a month, wait several weeks, and then just, hey, I get that it's weird to get messages from people you don't know. I'm just trying to expand my network. Let me know if you ever want to hop on a Zoom call or for a Zoom coffee or if people are, are burnt out on those already since the pandemic. Now, this kind of gets into the pieces where I've used LinkedIn the most for that I think is really the best for me. Everybody's going to be different. But I do think that everyone should at least interact thoughtfully with other people's content, especially if you're in the same industry. So I'm not just saying that about mine, right? But I know as somebody who puts a lot of thought, sometimes too much thought, into the things that I post, it means a lot when people comment. And when I see the same people comment several times here and there, I notice them. And sometimes I feel like I know them. Sometimes I'll reach out and be like, hey, thanks so much for interacting. I really learned a lot from what you said on my post about blah, 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 whatever. But also, not only does the person who posted the original content get to see what you're writing, but so do other people that read the same posts that you do, right? They'll read your comment and go, huh, that's interesting. They did it a good perspective on that or they, they disagreed in a polite way or they had experience on that topic that I learned from, oh, I'm going to connect with them. So those are some ways to boost your profile without ever having to think about something to post yourself. You know, and if you use examples to relate to someone's post, try not to be braggy about it. Maybe share a lesson that you learned that was painful or just be encouraging and kind like, hey, thanks for posting this. I hadn't thought of that that way or I hadn't seen anyone talk about this in a while and I felt seen or whatever that offer a resource suggestion, right? If somebody says, I'm looking for a good book or I'm on the lookout for a new job or something like that. Maybe you don't know of a specific job, but maybe you know of someone who might. Or, hey, have you checked out this job board? Or have you looked at this website? Something like that. Have you listened to this podcast? There are several of you who often tag me in comments and I really appreciate that. And I do notice your name and go, oh, in my mind, you get put on the good list. I'm kidding. But it's not like if anyone doesn't tag my podcast, you get put on the naughty list. Don't worry. My brain does not have the capacity to remember any of that. I will notice who did. I will not notice who didn't. But those are the types of ways to get noticed without having to feel that fear. If you're like, oh my gosh, there's just no way I could post anything. What would I say? What would I write about? Blah, 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 whatever. Okay, we'll engage with other people's. And liking them and reacting to their stuff is, is great. And it does help other people see it, all that. But the more you comment on their posts, the more your name's going to be seen around. And, you know, you never know, right? Oh, I saw this person comment on a post about false positives. And I'm looking for somebody to really dive into our false positive problem. I wonder if they'd be willing to talk to me or maybe, you know, something like that. You just, you just never know, right? Uh, and also, you know, you're, you're showing people that you can be counted on, that you want to engage in the conversation, that you know a few things. And if you disagree, disagree respectfully. Don't be a jerk. Pretty much my life motto, but the world and social media itself is full of them. We don't need any more. But really at the end of the day, like when you're seen as helpful and informative, more will come back to you. More people will remember you. More people will want to help you. And then if you are brave enough to post content, and I know not everyone is, and that's okay. It might be something you can work your way up to. If you're really like not sure, you're like, I know I should or I want to, but I don't know what to write. One of the easiest things to do is, you know, to instead of making up a full post or a topic, is start sharing topical articles, but add like a short paragraph or two of your own observation or thoughts. I've honestly learned a lot from people who share articles. I wish more people shared articles that were fraud related or not even like e-commerce fraud related where my focus is all the time. But I learned so much from people in banking fraud and, you know, in trust and safety and others. I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that before. 
learning something. And most of us in our industry, we love to learn, right? We love to know things that we didn't know before. I've often joked that I met a guy at a coffee shop once who told me that his goal in life was to be a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. And I really like that. I think those of us that are true frog fighters to our core also want to be learn-it-alls. And it's a great way to learn from each other. But if you're not, you're like, I don't know what to post. Well, hey, maybe you found a good article. You'll share it. I often remember person posted the most interesting article. I didn't know about this or I hadn't thought about that. But if you want to post things, you know, that just come to your mind, I always recommend being thoughtful and observant and topical. It doesn't have to be related to your current company or your job, right? Obviously, doing what we do, you can't always talk about it. I can't talk about specific companies that I work with. There have been a handful of prospective clients that I've wanted to post about very much especially recently of like, oh my gosh, don't be this person. I mean, in a, in a way that is constructive and not dragging them, I've chosen not to do that or at least to wait a few months so that they don't think it's them if they follow me on LinkedIn. But there's a lot of things that you can like you can talk about without ever talking about your company now. I'm thinking of specific people that do that well. I just don't know. I hadn't planned on name dropping people to follow on LinkedIn, but now I'm thinking that might be, it's a bad idea, but now I'm afraid and I forget someone and feel bad. But one person who has done that really well, especially over the last few months is Jeff Dunn. He, up until within the leadership organization of the trust and safety department at Google, he just made a job transfer recently to one of the online dating sites, but he posts a lot about trust and safety. And that's what he's been doing at Google for, I don't know, I want to say at least 10 years, but I know he's been there a long time. He never once talked about Google or any of the projects he worked on, but he had a lot of interesting things to say about different aspects of trust and safety, whether it is, you know, generated AI or whether and how that's going to impact user generated content or whether it's how different trust and safety aspects are being talked about in the news. I know he just posted a clip today or yesterday of Robert Downey Jr. on 60 Minutes talking about how he was the victim of a hack. And Jeff talks about, um, hey, like, please, we welcome the celebrity attention on this because a lot of us work on this every single day and don't see enough people talking about it. And I agree with them. As someone who has helped at least a couple of celebrities get their accounts back from different sites when they were taken over and not because I worked at those companies, but because I knew people that did, again, power of the network. I know that those celebrities, the last thing they wanted to do was admit that they had had their account taken over or that they had clicked on a link in a phishing email. But it sure would have brought more exposure to it than it has now. But the other thing I said in my comment to him was, just as long as Robert, as Iron Man or Robert Downey Jr. doesn't start giving some of the same BS cybersecurity tips that we see people give, like, how many times do we hear people say, just get credit monitoring, like, that's going to protect you from everything. That's not going to protect you from account takeovers. That's not really going to protect you from if your credit card's stolen. That's not going to protect you if you use the same password for every single account. It's not going to protect you if you put a lot of your personal information all over a public site. Just those types of things. So that was my comment, right? I'm not saying that that was the most... That, that wasn't... If I was thinking of examples of comments that I left ahead of time, that probably wouldn't have been the first one that came to mind that was helpful or insightful, but... Just a good example of someone who works for a really large company who doesn't really ever talk about his company, but still provides a lot of value. And he's kind of made a name for himself. There's a lot of people that didn't know of him or who he was until he started posting regularly on LinkedIn. And there are some people who do post regularly on LinkedIn that honestly, 
I don't feel are engaging or interesting. They kind of start off with the same thing every day or it's just not really, I don't know, it seems like their intent is just to get followers or just to, it just doesn't feel like they're in it or maybe they feel like for their employer they need to do it. And I guess the thing I would say there is be yourself and use your own voice and be genuine because especially if your audience is in the fraud fighting or the trust and safety audience, fraud fighters can sniff out bullshit from a mile away. We all know that, but just like I said before, we have been well-trained and we have been paid essentially to be able to identify someone's intention with just a few lines of data. So if you're making a full post on social media, we can probably figure out what your intention is. So try to be genuine, try to be pure, try not to just, you know, use a template that you saw someone else do or something like that. There are some some interesting, like there are some creative, like content creators, I guess, for lack of a better term, that specialize in LinkedIn that have created like 101 prompts for LinkedIn posts. One might be about the worst boss. One might be about the best boss. One might be about the best career advice you had, something like that. And my plan for the F430 annual virtual event that Fearless Female Fraud Fighter was actually to create one specific for female fraud fighters. Unfortunately, I have not done the third annual this year. I, you guys are not the only ones that are bummed about that. I am too. I am really hoping uh, that by the fall, I can have a little bit of bandwidth to do another one because that event fuels my soul just as much as it has fueled other people's. I'm getting to see several people kind of get in touch with their spark or their passion again after that virtual event has meant the world to me. So it's not far from my mind. But right now, as far as I know, there's not like a list of prompts for people specific in fraud. But hey, create one or look for prompt lists from other people and adapt it to our industry or what you feel comfortable talking about. Other things you can post about, again, I, I always think like doesn't provide value, but you can ask for advice or resources on a specific topic. Hey, I'm resourcing or I'm researching user policies for XYZ or I'm looking at pinless debit online. What resources do you recommend I look at? You can say no sales pitches. You'll still get a few. Just ask Andrew Austin. I think he shared that one on his episode already. Bless his heart. But he was, one time he posted, it's public, so I think it's okay to share. Uh, one time he posted on LinkedIn a couple months ago. It was, it was before he was even on the podcast. I know he was on the podcast in early March about, I think he was asking people what type of solution provider they've used or something like that. And he said, if you're a solution provider, please don't reach out. And he still had like over 30 messages in his inbox. Just, hey, I saw your post. I'd love to help you. Guys, that's almost worse than when you reach out unsolicited, right? If somebody says, hey, don't do this, don't do it. Because if you do, it's like, oh, and you don't follow directions and you don't listen to boundaries. At least when you reached out to me before, I hadn't told you not to. It's kind of similar, you know, when I have fraud fighting practitioners on as guests on the podcast, I often will, when I put a link to their LinkedIn in the show notes. I'll often say no solicitations, please. In fact, I think I say it all the time. Maybe I forgot once or twice, but my intention is to say it all the time. And I always let them know that so that that way, if anyone reaches out and doesn't just say like, hey, I really enjoyed your episode. It was great. I learned XYZ. And instead of a solution provider is like, hey, I already talked about this problem. I can solve it. Or can we hop on a call and I can tell you about our solution or whatever? Then that person knows that, that they were asked Solution providers were asked not to do that. It's a good piece of information. Other things you can post about, provide a list of resources that have been helpful to you. 
people to follow, podcasts to listen to, etc. What articles have you enjoyed reading? Maybe they're not directly related to fraud, but they're fascinating, right? Maybe it's, you know, a podcast about a white color criminal or an article about something that's tangential, but not like strictly related. All of those things are fascinating. In fact, I know someone the other day who was saying, I posted one post on LinkedIn about that I really spent a lot of time on. And it was about a big experience I had in my career that was really pivotal for me and barely anyone read it. Then I posted like a link to six different people that I like to follow on LinkedIn that I've learned something from. And it got like so many likes and views. And I'm like, and all of that is so subjective. There are all different things that really go into that algorithm. And I've noticed a couple of them because we can't be in fraud and not, you know, just pick up on how things work. You know, sometimes it matters how many people interact with your post in the first hour. Sometimes it matters when you post it or what days you post it. Other times it matters who did you, did you tag anyone? Maybe you didn't. Who liked your post first? Was it someone with 500 connections or someone with 5,000? And some of those things you just can't predict. I know for like, for me right now, I've been so busy that I've only been posting about podcast episodes. And I've noticed that while the interactions are still really good, they're not as high because I'm not providing a lot of value. I mean, that's not true. I hope I'm providing value in the podcast and to my producer, Satchera, or just he, to his eye rolls anyways, I often try to provide value in those posts and kind of set the stage and explain what we talk about and why it's important. And sometimes they're really long, but I find that those always have more people interacting with them and reading them than just, here's this podcast episode on this date. This is who I talk with. So at least I'm trying to provide value, but I recognize that, huh, okay, the my numbers are telling me that I need to post some other content without asking you to listen to a podcast episode. All right, I can do that. And that's the only reason I look at the data. I don't look at them for vanity metrics. I just think that's a moot point. There's too many variables on that, but it does help me to go, oh, okay. People really like it when I post about refund fraud. People really get engaged when I do this or that. I should do more of that. So that's how I use it. If you are posting about a webinar or an event, like provide a little more information about it. What's going to be taught? Who should attend? Why? Why are you speaking for this organization? Have they been good to you? Or did you attend last year and you learned a lot? You know, who are you presenting with and why? Those type of things. Just give it a little bit more you. People want to know your personality and what you know. And especially in this industry where we rely so much on learning from each other. And that's really why I created Fraudology was because, especially during the pandemic, there were a lot less opportunities to learn from each other. And I'm so lucky to be a hub of information sometimes or trusted with so much information that I felt like I was doing a disservice by not getting it out. And I was using LinkedIn a lot, but not everybody can look at LinkedIn all the time. Not everyone can see my stuff. Not everyone can listen to a podcast either, but there's a couple thousand of you that you do. And I'm very appreciative of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful beyond measure. A couple other notes I had here is just if it's a salesy post or a repost from your marketing team, and this is more specifically to vendors, Make it your own, right? Post a little bit more about it. For instance, Forder is the sponsor of this quarter's podcast. And some of the people on their team have reposted some of the things that I, I've posted, either about episodes that they sponsored or things like that. And a lot of times they put a little extra blurb on top. And I'm like, there you go. Helps people get to know you, right? How can you expect someone to want to interact with you if they don't know who you are? You're given an opportunity to show them who you are a little bit every day on social media, you can't just expect people to trust you to go to a webinar or click on a link, especially in our industry. 
if they don't know a little bit about you or why they should, post a recent conversation you had with, this is also for sales rep, with a prospect that made you think or a new way to think about solving a specific problem. Recently, I've talked to several people that have had this problem and they want to solve it this way. But what if they solved it that way or, or maybe what they aren't, they're so focused on their losses, they aren't thinking about this. That can, that can definitely be on the edge of salesy. So be conscious about it, right? Be conscious about providing value over pitching, right? If you're on LinkedIn and you're posting, that's not your time to pitch. It's your time to provide value and make people want to interact with you and learn more from you. And then you can share with them about your company. But at the end of the day, like in most everything in life, when it comes to LinkedIn, you'll get what you give. You What you put in is what you'll get back. So if all you want to do is take, 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 or focus on what's in it for me and reach out to random people and say, hey, I'm applying for a job at your company. Please refer me or whatever. And I certainly don't do all the people who give me orders, especially people I don't know. But I don't know, maybe some people do, but maybe you'll get lucky every once in a while. But for the most part, you'll probably just get those kinds of interactions in your inbox. And you'll miss out on getting to know some really awesome people and getting to expand your network. And I, one of the, I mean, there's so many unexpected blessings out of this industry and career path for me. One of them is that I have friends all over the world, not just like connections and people that I know. I mean, I have lots of those, but there are some of like my most favorite humans on the entire planet live halfway across the world from me. And sometimes it's hard, but they flee, you know, to WhatsApp and Zoom and email and international conferences and other things we still get to keep in touch. But I would have never known them. I would have never known that we have this in common, if it was so much in common, and that they are just truly incredible people. If I didn't put myself out there first, whether it was on LinkedIn or on the podcast or in other ways. So when you focus on providing value and information to your peers, you just never know who's reading or what could come back your way. It's not going to happen right away, but trust me, you'll be really grateful that you did. So my challenge to you is to try to adopt one of these tips. Try to challenge yourself to post once a week or to comment on five different posts a week or something like that, right? And don't just say good job or that was interesting, but put a little thought into it. Tag someone else that you think might find that interesting too. Try not to tag the same people all the time because they might just like their eyes might glaze over, but providing value to our peers, it, to me, I don't do it for when it comes back to me. Just providing value alone makes me feel like I have an impact and that helps my own mental health and feeling of purpose. But there are exponential values beyond that that are really worthwhile too. But to try to, you know, focus the right, think maybe I want to update my profile or maybe I want to join a group and see if there's anyone interesting that posts interesting articles in there. Sometimes there are not as many on LinkedIn groups, but you know, you never know. Try to set a goal for yourself of the kind of people you want to connect with or within six months, what do you want to have done? I don't know. I just think that a lot of times those things just get, they don't get thought about, right? We're not intentional about them until we need them. I've seen way too many times where people are like, oh crap, I've logged into my LinkedIn, but I haven't done anything on this. And now I need to ask my network for help. But even if that never happens to you, right? You don't have to be at your lowest low to need something from people, even if it's just friendship and friendship is nothing just about it. So I think I've probably, maybe hopefully not oversold, but 
I think I've gotten the point across that to me, it's providing a lot of value. It's another way to provide value and to meet people within the industry. It's not the only way, but certainly in the last several years, it kind of has been. So why not take advantage of it a little bit and be a little more intentional about it and see what happens? What other additional tips do you have? What are things, lessons that you've learned that have helped you on LinkedIn? Or what's something that that has come to you, that, that has happened to you in your life because of LinkedIn that wouldn't have happened otherwise? I'd be interested to hear that. Also, if you have any questions for me specific to this or anything else, I'm getting ready to do yet another Ask Carice thing episode. So ask me anything. Uh, one of the best ways to do it is to put it in my inbox. I have an amazing super part-time assistant who goes in and downloads my LinkedIn inbox once a week and turns it into an Excel spreadsheet and a to-do list for me. You would think that that would mean that I'd be able to keep up with all of them. I still, I'm still really behind. I think I'm still in March or February maybe to try to keep up with all of them. But again, if it was anything important, reply back to me. But things like that. But the podcast, I may not be able to reach back out to you, but we will log them and I'll answer your question on a not too distant, a podcast episode in the not too distant future. All right, everyone. I hope that you have a great week. If you, you are listening to this this week, go back and listen to another episode from earlier that you missed because there's one last episode of Phrology this week. And then join me next Tuesday to celebrate. And I'm not the best at celebrating my own milestones, but I don't see this as my own milestone. It's like our milestone of 200 episodes of Fraudology. It's pretty insane. Once again, I am so thankful to all of you and I will talk to you next week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.